Welcome to the Weekly Workplace, where professionals come to find insights and inspiration for success. Hosted by the Missouri Training Institute, this is the Weekly Workplace. Welcome to the Weekly Workplace, where professionals come to find insights and inspiration for success. My name is Brianna Larimer, and with me today, Miss Ray Lyon. Hi, Ray. Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I'm so excited about this episode. You know, Dewey and I did one together last week, and now you and I get a little girl time. Um, So that's exciting. It's exciting. It's exciting. You know, and I thought about it, Ray. Do you realize it has been uh, about one year and since we have done our first Facebook Live and almost our first podcast episode? I always remember it because we started this whole process off really celebrating women. Uh, We did an international on International Women's Day. We did women in the workplace. Well, a lot of new things happened around women and uh, Women's Day and Women's Month. So look at us go. I know. I know. We're going to keep that traction going this year now. Um, You know, and I, I love what we've decided to talk about today and this whole idea of mean women in business, uh, thinking about what we were like then, uh, what we knew then and what we know now, what we wish we had known then. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that today. And okay. I guess to get us started on that, Ray, I want you to think back to your first job. Okay. Your first job you've ever had. What was it? Um, I think this will really be distinct between not only, um, you know, this women idea, but also a generational idea. I was 10. Believe it or not, I was. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, right. I was 10 years old and I babysat for the two boys that lived across the street from us. What? Yes. At 10. And I know I was 10 because my family lived in Jefferson City, Missouri, and we only lived there like my fourth grade school year. And in fourth grade, I was 10 years old. And so that's how I know I was 10. Otherwise, I wouldn't even believe it myself. Oh, my goodness. How did that go at 10 years old? My memory is I was fabulous, right? (laughs) Yeah, I was there. But the weird thing is, somehow I don't even think they were that much younger than me. I remember running around like a wild child playing with them. And they were two boys. Um, Yeah, they might have been just like six and seven. Oh, my goodness. And I'm 10. I can't even imagine that. My parents didn't even leave me home alone when I was 10, let alone in charge of somebody else. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. So, so what about first paying job? Yeah. First paying job was at a movie theater when I was 15. Um, everything started younger way back in the day. Um, and my dad actually had to drive me because we didn't, you know, you didn't have a driver's license back then. And I worked at a movie theater at Biscayne Mall in Columbia, Missouri. And uh, loved it. You got to get your friends in for free. Um, You got like free concessions. I worked at the concession stand, I should say that. I didn't like get to run the the film or anything. But (laughs) yeah, it was super cool. 
Well, as you think about those, that would be cool. Number one, let me throw that out there. Um, definitely a cool first gig. What were some big takeaways that you had from those experiences? For both of those experiences, I'd probably say my biggest takeaway, other than learning to add in my head at the concession stand, that was huge. Uh, but my biggest like takeaway that I've moved forward with is being responsible for my actions mm. to an authority figure. And I know that sounds really basic, but really thinking about I was making decisions on my own at 10, right, for other people. And then when those authority figures, i.e. parents um, or manager at the theater would ask me about, you know, what I was doing or what I had done, then being accountable for those decisions. Yeah. That was my biggest takeaway. Yeah. I think I just feel I'm still just in awe right now about the 10 year old babysitting. <laughs> like I said, I, um, I, yeah, first time I ever babysat was when I was probably 13 or 14. And, um, I was not responsible for the actions of those kids because they used me as a human trampoline, oh, but, no. <laughs> uh, but you're right. You know, just kind of learning some of that, that at that age kind of sets the tone for what your career is going to look like, right? As you have those responsibilities to the organization. Um, you know, my first job, I, I remember very clearly, it was uh, 16, all right? I wasn't able to get a job at 15. I wanted to, but uh, I did babysit and stuff then. So, but first paying job, uh, 16th birthday, mom takes me to the mall. So that didn't change, Ray. Uh, parents <laughs> still had to drive me. And we did paper applications. I put in a paper application at just about every retail store I even had a remote interest in at that mall. Wow. Brought my resumes. I had a whole stack of resumes I just incorporated with them. I sat and filled the applications out while I was sitting outside the store. Uh, feeling a little discouraged because I got the, the pretty common, you know, oh, well, we're accepting applications. We'll take a look at them. We'll give you a call if we, you know, are interested. So getting ready to walk out, I finally decide uh, against my better judgment at 16 years old to put in an application at a toy store. And um, as I go in, I same thing, same process I've just done for the last three hours. And thank God my mom had patience to be with me for three hours, <laughs> yeah. mind you, doing this. Um, but as I'm walking out, feeling discouraged, uh, the manager's walking back to his office with uh, my resume and he starts reviewing it. I see he's, it was three pages long, so he's got it turned oh open. I know, overachiever here, right? It was all just academic stuff too. Obviously I was only 16, but I put on there uh, the things that I was involved in. And all of a sudden I hear, hey, 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 wait a second, wait a second, you wrestle? And I paused and I turned around and I said, yes, sir, I do. And he said like, on a girl's team? And I said, no, I said, I'm the only female on the boys wrestling team. Uh, this was in high school. I started when I was in seventh grade. And uh, he goes, okay, come back here. Let's talk a little bit. And I walked out of there that day with the job. And yeah. I think one of the takeaways I had from that particular experience, day one, got the job experience was I had to be somebody that had some type of distinguishing factor um, that maybe showed a little bit more toughness or resiliency or masculinity. I don't, I don't know what, what you would call it, um, but I know I took that with me and every job I applied for moving forward, 
I tried to find that piece to tout on that application or that resume. So good or bad or indifferent, I guess, on it. um, I felt that. Yeah. You know, in hearing that, and of course, this isn't the first time I've heard that story, but, you know, you get to hear it through different filters each time and and hearing your story and and then retelling my story again. Um, It's the story we tell Mm. and it builds our foundation moving forward mm-hmm. and we we live through that story mm-hmm. that we've told ourselves interesting, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. and ev- every single career I thought about after that um I looked I mean I obviously my degree was in journalism so I went into journalism but I looked for the fun or the tough story I did professional wrestling stories even when I yeah. when I was a journalist um but then I I transitioned into deputy juvenile officer and then I transitioned into the Columbia Police Department so that element of toughness I guess if you will kind of stuck with me and it's it, you're right it absolutely was a story I told myself and it shaped the rest of my career path mm-hmm. so Shaped you like as in the types of jobs you looked for, or once you were in a job, you became, you took on that role, or you saw that as your personal mission in that yeah. role, like to be the protector or something. Yes, yes. Um, I think those were easy roles for me to play. My mom always called me kind of the bulldog, the the protector of the family. And so it was easy, but you're absolutely right. I, I said this to my husband even uh, a few days ago. I said, you know, every career I've had, I've kind of felt like a chameleon, really trying to just change colors with what I needed to be to fit that environment. And that has gotten very murky as a now 30 something year old professional, because it's like, who am I? And, and what is my big T truth? I know you referenced that a little bit. I'm going to ask you about that here in a second, Ray, but how do I find that? You know? And so I'm curious from your perspective, I brought that up the big T truth. Yeah. All right. Tell me what that is, Ray. And tell me a little bit about what that looks like for you. Well, first of all, what a valid point you brought up when you said, I felt or feel like since you're kind of in the middle of your career um, as a professional woman, um, feeling like a chameleon, because looking back, you know, we're at different places in our career journey. I absolutely identify with that. And I think so many other women will, too. So um, thank you for bringing that up. That is such a good point. Um, And what I mean by big T truth is When I think about what I've learned um, and what I know now that I wish I knew then and what I want to pass on, and hopefully we'll circle back at the end um, for that message, is figuring out who you are sooner in your career journey and maybe even in just your, your personhood so that Everything that you bring to the table, whether it's as a partner, as a, you know, a parent, um, as a coworker, as a boss, um, you can bring your whole authentic self. And that's what I mean by big T truth. Hmm. So whether that's a very empathic, you know, achieving learner to the table don't be apologetic. Hmm. 
right? Mm-hmm. Or whether you bring somebody, they're done, loud, um, take charge person, mm-hmm. right? That that's, that's the beauty in all of us as that unique person, mm-hmm. right? You know, Lily Tomlin, and there, there's another uh, uh, actress that dates me, but um, she had a wonderful quote one time that said, just be you. Everyone else is taken. I have heard that. I like that one too. And I just, you know, I'm like, you're right, right? Why am I trying to be somebody or even something I'm not? That's why that chameleon sentence you said a minute ago is so valid. I mean, how many of us as women in the workplace spent time or are spending time Mm -hmm. trying to be something else or trying to, when we walk into a room or walk into a meeting or walk into a client, and there's a difference between trying to fit in like a chameleon and be who the room air quotes, needs us to be and connecting mm-hmm. as point. the room needs us to connect. Mm-hmm. That's different. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, and I think it's interesting, like listening to that and, and thinking about that feeling when I wasn't able to achieve it, right? When I wasn't able to to really feel like, okay, I'm my colors are correct for this particular <laughs> environment. I actually leaned on something else that I think we overuse sometimes, uh, maybe as females. And Ray, I'm going to ask you about this experience in in your first, you know, kind of your first career and coming up as a vice president of a bank at 32 years old. But I tended to really try and push through a competitive nature, you know, to try and prove to people through this competition that I deserved in some way to be in that room if I wasn't fitting in. And I I wonder, you know, thinking back to your career, I'm sure that there was a lot of competition in the banking business, which you've mentioned on previous episodes was a lot of your background as well. But talk a little bit about maybe the persona uh, or was there, I guess, a persona that you had to uphold in in that environment? Yeah. You know, back when there were a lot of, especially in, in banking and finance, a lot of the top executives um, were men. Hmm. And so that's what I felt I needed to be like, was like them. Mm-hmm. You know, and men were competitive, mm-hmm. you know, just the nature, the nature of man, you know, and it really bred this scarcity mentality that there was only so much that, you know, at the top. And if you weren't at the top, you know, then you got the crumbs. And so it really did kind of breed this win lose mentality. And so thus, <laughs> you know, there was only one piece of the pie and everybody was scrambling for it. That's what I knew then. Mm -hmm. And um, my natural mindset is probably more geared towards that because as all of our listeners know, I, I tend to have a a less empathetic um, natural tendency. And so that was an easy place for me to go. 
luckily, <laughs> I have had some really wonderful mentors. And so what I know now is I can actually live out of an abundance mentality mm-hmm. that there is enough for everyone. And when there's more people, there's actually even more room. Mm-hmm. And I love that thought. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that thought. So what I knew then was what I knew then. And I wish I knew then what I know now that mm-hmm. there's way more. Uh, there's way more. And by sharing that knowledge, it, it just actually makes more. Yeah. Well, and I want to speak to that a little bit because that's, in, you know, I, I mentioned that competitiveness, you know, what I knew then was I either fit into the room and if I couldn't fit in that I needed to compete to prove my worth in that room. And, and don't share your knowledge. Don't, no. Yeah. yeah don't share uh, your knowledge. No, no, right. no. Um, and so I think back to the careers I even had, and they were all very solo careers. I mean, I did things on my own. I achieved on my own. I moved up on my own. And what I know now is that's not the best way to work. Right. You know, and I, I really, I give uh, major kudos to, to you and Dewey for this and for breaking me and not, not fully, I'm still a work in progress <laughs> here, but um, on this idea that, that teamwork All right. Being able to be a part of a team to leverage the talents and the skills and the contributions that your team members can bring actually not only makes your job easier, but it also really builds your credibility and your influence with other people, maybe without even having to try as hard. I think that that was really almost a weight off my shoulders is understanding that, that if I'm not good in some area, that's okay. Because I got team members that are good in these areas and we can get the work done collectively and achieve greater things. So for me, the competitive nature kind of, I don't say it dwindled away because I'm still a competitive person, but in, in a work environment, I didn't feel like I had to be as much because I knew I now value um, what a team can do together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I love it. And, and, you know, it's okay to be a competitive person because, you know, I am too, but now the person I compete with is the person I was yesterday. You know, and I'm yeah. like, okay, okay, right. That was yesterday. How about today? Mm-hmm. You know, game on girl. Mm-hmm. And um, that that's how I use that because a, achievement is one of my values, mm-hmm. but not from a, a ladder climbing. Like, you know, if I win, that means you lose. Or if you win, sure. it means you lose. Because we're back to that scarcity mentality. But achievement as in doing your best in everything you choose to do. And I, I, yes, yes, <laughs> I'm an achiever as well. And so you're absolutely right. When I can kind of change that paradigm in my, my own head um, and recognize, I think that's the best way to, to have it described is every day I'm only competing to achieve the most I can with myself. Um, and I, I also love, I want to touch on what you said there too, you know, that idea of just being uniquely and authentically you you know, you mentioned that earlier. And um, I also heard a quote one time that, you know, had said that we were born an original, don't die a copy. And that really resonated with me. Yeah. um, I think that 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 was something I even have it on a sticky note on my desk. 
because it's a good reminder every day that I don't have to be like everyone else. I, I'm perfectly fine just being me. Um, and it still takes a lot of work, takes a lot of work, but <laughs> other lessons. All right. I want to just kind of open this up. I want to talk before we, we start closing out. What are some other lessons that you've learned in work um, that you do today? Oh, you know, probably the biggest one, and it ties into that idea of being authentically you. And, and like I say, you know, living your big T truth is you're not going to please everybody. Hmm. You're never going to please everybody. You're never what? even going to please half of everybody or a quarter of everybody. I know it. I know that that's as bad as like NyQuil to swallow, isn't it? You're bursting my bubble, Ray. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. But you're not, right? And especially if you have to go against your values and who you are, Um you're going to let yourself down. And that's the biggest failure of all. I think, you know, one of the other things that I would just tell our, our listeners out here, that's a great point. Obviously, I'm a people pleaser. And so um, the, it definitely speaks to the heart there, Ray. Thanks for that. I know. I know. <laughs> you know, but something else that comes to mind as we, I think about something I've learned now as women, I think we build things up to a point where we feel like we can't do it. Like it's insurmountable you know, um, that we're not going to be able to accomplish it or to move on or uh, to be successful in it. Maybe we fear failure. Maybe we think we're not strong enough. I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It might be different for each person. But what I appreciate that I know now is that there's nothing that can stand in my way if it's something that I want to do. If it's something that is feeling like that, it probably means I need to try it. Because even if I try it and I don't succeed at it, I failed forward, right? Meaning I, I, I know a little bit more. I can use that information to guide my direction and where I continue to head in this career. And so that's probably something else. I just say kind of building up that mental resiliency uh, recognizing that if it's just easy and it's coming naturally to you, maybe we need to put a challenge in front of us, all right, and not not feel like we won't be able to get over that hill. Yeah, sometimes the most difficult choice is the right one. Yeah, you know. Yeah, sometimes, you know, when that that saying, you know, seems too good to be true, probably is. You know, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes the most difficult and rocky road is the one you know, that's actually the one we should be on. And and all of that that you're just talking about now seems a lot of the things that we work on in executive coaching, you know, mm. kind of that mindset idea that oh, I'm stuck. You know, I, I, I have this thought or this story that I'm telling myself and, you know, I'm just, I'm stuck. I can't get beyond this block. And a lot of, you know, I hear a lot of those things and, it's it's in their it's in their own interpretation right of whatever's happening right and so you said it you know i've got to i got to shift my mindset i've got to change my paradigm got to change my thinking mhm it all starts with our mind i mean my body has surprised me in all of the possible ways it could it it can do just about anything well when you can get but- in an octagon and <laughs> hey, think you're going to take a punch, even just think you're going to take a punch. Woman, Let me tell you, Ray, that's and, and, power right there. And I appreciate that. And I, I will tell you just 
to that point, so what Ray's referencing for our listeners out there, if you haven't heard on the previous episodes, my wrestling led me to mixed martial arts, and uh, I did uh, get in the cage in my first amateur fight, uh, had a TKO, and it was incredible. But let me tell you what was the most incredible part about that. It wasn't the actual knockout. It was the <laughs> fact that for the first time in my entire life, I did something for me. You know, it was something that I said, I want to be able to do this. I want to achieve it. I want to know that I can do it. And I, I was, um, I don't want to say selfish because that sounds bad, and I'll, but in a way I was selfish at pursuing that. And as women, I don't think we do that enough. We're pulled in so many different directions. We're so many different hats. You know, and I think that an encouragement to all of our, our ladies out there is just recognize if there's something that is pulling at your heart, like do it, do it. And it's okay to have those, those, um, those moments. It's not selfishness. It's really taking care of your needs as well. Let's uh, start rounding it out here. Any other final tips as we think about our, what we knew then and what we know now, anything else for our listeners? Oh, I, you know, you, you said it, I think just being true to yourself and listening to your own intuition, something I, we're all blessed with is that ability to have that intuition. Sometimes we fight it mm. and um, uh, it's not always wrong. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said earlier too. You mentioned, um, I guess, having those people around you that you can look to. So you mentioned your mentors, you yes. know, that, that uh, will help you kind of shape and, and guide uh, maybe your path a little bit as well. I want to say thank you. I'm going to put this plug in. I don't know if you wanted me to or not, but I'm going to do it. Um, Ray is an executive. She's going through the process uh, of getting her uh, national certification in coaching. And so she's doing this executive coaching stuff now. And I just want to encourage any listeners out there, if you've been thinking about it, if you just want to have an initial consultation with Ray, figure out, is this something you'd want to move forward with? please uh, email us, email mti at missouri.edu. If you're not signed up for our newsletter, I've dropped the link in this podcast description um, and sign up for it because we're going to be sending out information soon about her bookings app where you'll be able to actually go in and schedule your consultation or schedule uh, one of those coaching sessions with her. So Ray, did I forget anything on that? Oh, that sounds good. Okay. All right. Well, I just want to thank you. Thank you for the time today on this topic. Thanks for sharing your stories and all of your experience. I feel extra fortunate because I get to work with you. So I get to hear a lot more. Um, and so she's an incredible woman, y'all. Um, so get out there and, and book her for some executive coaching. <laughs> thank you. But uh, until our next episode, Dewey will be back with us. uh, And uh, I'm excited. We'll have a lot more fun episodes coming to you. But until then, go be great. Thanks for listening to The Weekly Workplace, hosted by the Missouri Training Institute. Dewey, Ray, and Brianna stand ready to connect with you and meet your training needs. Be sure to check out ways to contact them in the episode description or at mti.missouri.edu. Subscribe to the podcast to get future episodes automatically by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. Hope to catch you on the next episode of The Weekly Workplace. Yes.